If you have your Bibles, uh, the title of this sermon, I don't talk about the title very often, but I told everyone in the office earlier, this is a very angry youth pastor title here. Not, Cole's not an angry youth pastor, he's a happy youth pastor, but fake Christianity, it sounds like I've been waiting for six months to get an opportunity to preach, and uh, here it is, fake Christianity, you know. But hopefully you'll see this is a, a message of joy about what real Christianity is. If you have your Bibles open there to Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 20, why don't you go and stand with me out of reverence? For the reading of the words of our God. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God Himself is speaking to us. Beginning in verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? Whose slaves you want to be once more. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. But brothers, I entreat you, become as I am. For I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy? By telling you the truth, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone. I am perplexed about you. Let's pray. Oh God, this morning, would you please open our hearts and minds. And God, I pray that we would be able to receive your word with gladness and joy and be changed by it today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. My little sister lives in Greenville, South Carolina. Her and her husband, and hopefully soon, the next month or two, their little girl, who they're in the process of adopting from India. We're excited about having a niece in the family, another niece in the family soon. And uh, so anyway, nonetheless, um, because they live in Greenville, South Carolina, and we're here in Alabama, uh, and their jobs several years ago were a little harder to get away from, we changed where we go on vacation, summer vacation. We started going to the South Carolina coast to make it a little easier to meet up with them, make their travel a little easier, and it's really not much worse for us. So I don't know how much y'all know about me and my proclivities and tendencies in travel, but for me, the research and work that goes into the trip is almost as fun for the, as the trip itself for me. I am um, uh, passionate about finding things to do and things to see, places to eat, and all those different kinds of things you do when you go on a trip. 
to the much to it drives my fa- you know some of you might think I wish I had someone like that in my family not my family it drives them crazy you know they want to sit on the beach they want me to hush you know so uh, nonetheless nonetheless I researched when we were first going to the South Carolina coast a little barrier island right outside Beaufort South Carolina um, I researched a lot and realized a lot of movies were filmed in that area. Lots of different, lots of different movies. Apocalypse Now was filmed in that area. The Big Chill was filmed in that area. And the one I was most excited about, having been filmed in that area, is called Forrest Gump. Now, I'll say this. Years ago, when I discovered that Forrest Gump was mainly filmed in South Carolina and not Alabama, just so you all know, there's no such thing as Greenbow, Alabama. Um, I hate to be the one to tell you. But it wasn't filmed in Alabama. I was pretty disappointed about that until it turns out I'm going to South Carolina. And so I wanted to find all the different places uh, where Forrest Gump was filmed. And when we're going in or leaving or on a day when it's raining or something, we can drive and see some of these different sites. So we got to see different things from Forrest Gump, different scenes from Forrest Gump. But I really wanted to see Forrest Gump's house. But the problem is it's not there. It's not there. Forrest Gump's house is fake. It, it was just a facade that Hollywood built. Many, many facades have been built by Hollywood. This is one of them. It wasn't real. They tore it down after the movie was filmed. And so it was pretty disappointing for me to not be able to go see Forrest Gump's house. I, I wanted to see it. I wanted to lay eyes on it because it's one of my favorite movies. You see, it's always sad for us when we realize something is fake. Now, I don't bemoan Hollywood for building sets. You know, it's just part of how life works. They build sets. But it is always sad for us when we realize that something is fake, something we wanted to see or something we thought might be real. Sometimes it's this sort of idealized version of things that we think might exist, but it doesn't really exist. But it's always sad when we realize something's a facade. In fact, we use that word facade a lot. You know, it's sort of the facing of something, or in times it's used in sets to talk about a facade being built that's really just a front. And we use that in a, in a sort of other way to talk about somebody putting up a front or somebody faking things. We use this word facade in lots of different ways in that context. But here in this particular text, Paul is lamenting the fact that the Galatians have embraced fake Christianity. People, false teachers have come in and they've taken these sort of vulnerable new converts that were formerly pagans, presumably at least, certainly Gentiles, who have embraced Christianity, embraced the gospel through Paul's preaching, and now some legalistic people have come in and tried to add the law. And Paul's saying that this fake Christianity that's being passed off as the real thing or a deeper form of Christianity or a higher plane of Christianity to abuse the sort of concept that we've just sung about. When they, people come in and they're, they're presenting this fake Christianity as the real thing, it's a problem. And so this morning, from this text, I want to show you three truths that will help you with your discernment. And I really do believe that discernment is something that Christians sorely need during this time. I used to joke and say, I get the emails you forward to me, and I think you could use some discernment. Uh, uh, but now I say, I see some of the things we share on Facebook and some of the things that pass as true and the willingness we have to believe almost anything sometimes it feels like 
And I think we really need to be careful and be more discerning. I want to show you today three truths that I think can help you determine whether or not you are being lured into a sort of fake Christianity or fake Christian practice. I want you to use these three truths that Paul presented to the Galatians here. I want you to use them in your own heart to evaluate whether or not you're running toward and walking toward authentic, genuine Christianity and authentic, genuine Christian practice, or whether or not you might be being lured into something that's not real, something that's fake. Here's the first point this morning, the first truth that I think will be helpful for us as we grow in our discernment. It's this, real Christianity embraces real holiness. Uh, Real Christianity embraces real, authentic holiness. Notice what Paul says here in verses 8 through 11. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. This is one of the things I think that was most jarring for someone who had grown up as a pagan. Someone who had grown up participating, much like we do, in just sort of the religion of their parents, or the religion of their area, or the religion of their region. They realized when they became Christians, when they met Jesus, they realized that the, quote, gods that they were serving, right? These gods that they would practice uh, sacrifices to, these gods that they worshipped, these household idols that they uh, worshipped and were beholden to, where actually the Bible teaches us, and I think Paul says elsewhere, and here you see him alluding to it here as well, that which you served held you as hostage. They weren't actually gods. They were demons. This is darkness that they served. So he says this, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. You might have called them gods, and they might have called themselves gods, but in, in reality, a sacrifice to a god other than the God of the Bible, we don't sacrifice to the God of the Bible anymore. So if you're sacrificing to anything in this way, you're not sacrificing to anything that's a god, you're sacrificing to a demon. Paul says this elsewhere to the Corinthians. So he says, you are enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. And then he goes on, verse 9, But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? We alluded to this last week. If you heard last week's sermon, you've gotten a little dose of this already. But let me reiterate that what Paul's saying is, that these people who used to serve false gods have now been saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and now some folks have come along adding the law, adding extraneous commandments that are not required of Christians based on things they've read in the Old Testament or things they believe about the law. They're adding those that yoke back to the lives of these pagans. And you see the way that Paul is saying, you used to be slaves to these demons and called themselves gods. And now, through this process of becoming legalists again, of abandoning the gospel and taking on a law, not the, not the law as it was intended, but a law in this way, you are submitting yourselves again as slaves to these weak and worthless elementary principles of the world. Paul is equating a sort of paganism with a sort of legalistic lifestyle. 
They're both cut out of the same cloth. You see, God never wanted the Israelites simply to live by the law. He wanted to live by faith in Him. And the law was meant as a tutor to show them their need for grace and faith. But here we see the way that it's being used. It's being abused. Paul goes on, verse 10, You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. You see, they're turning back to an equivalence of the elementary principles of the world that they had embraced before. They are now embracing, rather than the pureness of the gospel, the purity of the gospel, instead, they are embracing a sort of superstition that's masquerading as a special sort of holiness, a a higher life sort of holiness. But my friends, authentic holiness isn't rooted in in observing days and months and seasons and years. It's not rooted in observing a law. It's not rooted in observing man-made laws, making sure that you're all the things that culture and society says you're supposed to be. Authentic holiness is rooted in spirit-driven, adoption-rooted obedience to God. We obey God and we grow in holiness because... Precisely because we have been adopted into the family of God. And here Paul says you're you're rejecting real holiness and embracing a sort of holiness that's based on what you can do. You see, it's based on sort of superstition. It's rooted in the opinions and traditions of man. And it sounds like you're getting closer to God, but you're actually getting further away. It feels like you're moving forward and going deeper, but you're actually going backward. You're going back to what you used to do. Real holiness is rooted, my friends, in grace and fueled by the gospel. You see, we want, we tend to want to settle for fake holiness because real holiness is hard. You've ever really tried to pursue holiness, you realize it's difficult work. I think it happens by grace through faith, but when you really start to evaluate your heart, when you really start to try to figure out what kind of wickedness is in here, buddy, it can get sad fast it could be really difficult to really try to actually look in the mirror so what we tend to want to do is develop sort of external rules and guidelines that tells us we're righteous now i've already mentioned covid this morning but it's easy to pick on right now because but i think we see this happening in our responses to things like covid19 i think you see the way that we develop a sort of fake holiness concerning these things I think there are real responsibilities each of us have to consider our fellow man, not just in this, but in all sorts of different ways. And I don't think every approach is identical. But nonetheless, I think in both directions, we can see people who have become obsessed, obsessed with their response to COVID, whatever it might be, and how others respond to COVID. And they become moral, morally judgmental toward everyone who doesn't do it just like them, Right? So you've got people who would say other people hate everyone because of how they're acting. And people on this side say people are clowns and idiots because of how they're acting. And in reality, what we're doing is creating a law outside ourselves, something besides a heart that's been changed, and we judge our holiness by that. There's all sorts of ways we do this. There's all sorts of ways we do this. Some people do it based on school choices. Some some people do it based on how many children somebody chooses to have. 
There, there's all sorts of, based on how we vote, based on how we do this, based on how we do that. But ultimately, my friends, true holiness comes from a heart that has been changed. Now, my friends, if we are to be discerning, we have to seek out these false gospels. We have to seek out and root out in our own hearts these false gospels that are convincing us that purity and holiness comes from anything but a heart that's been changed by the Holy Spirit. Sonship-rooted, adoption-oriented, grace-driven obedience to a God who loves us. Oh, be so careful that you don't settle for fake holiness, my friends. Second point is this, the second truth that I think will be helpful for us as we seek to be discerning in this way is this, real Christianity loves real truth. Real Christianity loves real truth. Now, Paul says something bold here. Many of us are familiar with Paul saying something similar to this, but I want you to feel the weight of what Paul says here in verse 12. Do you see it? Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am. For I also have become as you are. Now think about this. What Paul is not saying is just act like Paul. But if you know anything about Paul's background, right? you know he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Something he shares is sort of his background in Judaism, even to the Galatians. He, he was as holy as you can get according to the law according to external factors. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He studied at the feet of Gamaliel. Whoever it is that's coming to Galatia and tempting them with works, whatever it is their pedigree may be, it's nothing. Their their pedigree in Judaism is nothing compared to Paul's. Paul was the Jew of Jews. He was the law keeper of law keepers. In fact, you know how serious Paul was about the law? He persecuted Christians. He would go hunt down Christians and have them murdered because they weren't following the law appropriate. And so when Paul says, become as I am, he's helping them see, listen, if I can move on from following the law for the sake of my own righteousness, surely you can, because you see, I've become as you are. Become as you are. What Paul's saying is, when I'm there with you, I don't follow all these laws and rules. It's not like I'm asking you to join in some sort of hypocrisy. Become as I am, I also have become as you are. Paul then talks about the relationship he has with the Galatians. The circumstances that led him into their presence and the circumstances that brought the gospel to them. It was a bodily ailment that brought him there. Obviously, they took care of him there. He says, my condition was a trial for you, but you did not scorn or despise me, but you received me as an angel or messenger of God. You received me as if it was Christ Jesus himself who had come. What then has become of your blessedness, he asks in verse 15. Because I can remember, he's saying, I can remember what you were like. You would have gouged your eyes out and given them to me. Notice what he says then in verse 16. It's so poignant. It's so pressing. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Have have I then become your enemy? By telling you the truth. This morning, this is not this is not my first run at an outfit today. All right? It's my second run at an outfit. Jason Isbell says, don't call what you're wearing an outfit, but here I am. <laughs> the first outfit got vetoed this morning. 
Now, if you know me at all, you know you've said, now your wife must dress you. I hear that all the time. And Whitney's the first one to say, I do not dress him. He does this all on his own. Today, I decided to kind of take a little, just try something a little different. And I got out and she said, I don't, I don't think that's it. <laughs> and I agreed. I don't go with the question unless I already have a hint at the answer, right? I know what's, what's coming. But some of us, and I've been here before too, some of us will get a new haircut or get a new outfit and you're excited about it. And you'll go to your spouse or your significant other and you'll say, how does this look? And it's awkward silence just like that. And you're like, oh boy, I was so excited about this. You want it to be great. You want it to be a good situation. And then finally they say, you know, I like it. It's okay. I think that's fine. And you're like, this is not the answer I wanted. It's not what I was going for. And you know what happens? They become your enemy by telling you the truth. You get angry with them, don't you? Have you ever had this situation where you ask someone a question, but you know what you want them to say? And you, they, kind of, they tell you the truth, and it's not really actually what you wanted to hear. You actually wanted them to confirm what you already thought. Paul's saying, and, and now that I'm telling you the truth of the gospel, have I become your enemy? When I told you the gospel the first time, you would have gouged your eyes out and given them for me. I, I was an absolute burden to you, and you treated me as if I were Jesus Christ himself in your presence. And now I'm telling you the truth again. My message hasn't changed. Nothing has changed. I'm still the same Paul. You're still the same Galatians, and now I'm your enemy? For telling you the truth? My friends, real Christianity loves real truth. Real Christianity wants to know the truth whether we like it or not. My friends, we cannot run from the truth because we don't like it. We can't run from the truth because it's inconvenient. We, we can't run from the truth because it contradicts us. If, if I were you, and I was a member of this church, and I was praying for my pastor and our staff, because this is what I pray for myself and our staff, especially in the days and months and years to come, if I could pray, if you could pray one thing for my preaching, pray for courage. Pray for courage. Pray that we'll stand on the truth, no matter what, whether y'all like it or not. There are so many things that would be easy for me to preach on that would make the world mad, but make you happy. But that's not what I struggle with preaching about. I've got y'all. I love y'all. I, like, I don't care if the world's happy or not. I'm a Southern Baptist preacher. What do I expect from the world? Not much. Sometimes I get a little nervous, though, when I think about the things that you won't like that God said. Oh, pray for courage. P pray that we will love authentic, genuine truth. Ask yourself today, have I found myself sucked into something besides the truth found in the Bible? There are so many false gospels swirling around, and not just the ones you could think of, but the ones that tell you you're the most important thing in the world, the one that tells you that you are righteous but others aren't, the one that tells you that you matter more than anything. All sorts of false gospels are swirling around. Are there things, I ask you, that are not in the Bible that keep you outraged and frustrated? Are there people in your life who have become your enemy because they told you the truth? Real Christianity loves real truth. We pursue real holiness. We love real truth. And finally, real Christianity fosters real relationships. Real Christianity fosters real relationships. 
Real relationships are also rooted in real Christianity. Notice what the Bible says, verse 17. They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. Be careful. Be careful when you're flattered. Be careful when someone tells you you're right no matter what. Usually there's a catch. I always like to look for the people who have something to lose by what they say, not just something to gain by what they say. Those are the people I tend to want to follow. It's always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. It's a good thing to be made much of for the right purposes. There's no, I hope, I hope you'll feel loved and cherished and appreciated by your pastor, by your church staff, by those around you, the believers around you. I hope you'll be made much of in that way. But you've always got to ask, is this, What's the purpose for this? You may be being made much of right now for the wrong reasons in ways you can't even see or know. The TV preacher is telling you all your wildest dreams will come true. Here's a TV preacher right here that's not telling you that. I don't know what this life's going to look like for you. I don't know. If you're, if you're buying into a sort of health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, you're being made much of for the wrong reasons. If anyone ever says to receive God's blessings, you need to give or do this or do some narrow thing like that that's not in the Bible, my friends, run from that. You're being made much of for the wrong reasons. What about a friend who's encouraging you to sin because you deserve to be happy? It's not what you need to hear. Now, for some of you, there may be some hard decisions to be made. I'd love to talk to you about what the Scripture says about different things, but... My friends, if you're just walking away from something or a situation or walking towards sin because you deserve to be happy, I want want you to know your sin will never make you happy. It won't do it. What about talking heads on television or even pastors, God forbid, or people on the internet that always leave you feeling perfectly righteous and always convinced that the other side's the most awful and terrible sinners ever? If you watch the news, that's what it's designed to do. Maybe not, maybe not the evening news, but if you're watching these pundits on, I mean, I'm talking about every side of the spectrum. The goal is to make you angry at the others and be convinced that you are perfectly righteous. You know, if you are watching something or experiencing something or being shaped and formed by something and you're never convicted by it, it is not in keeping with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whether that's your political views or your COVID views or whatever it is, more than likely you're wrong about something. And goodness gracious, by God's grace, isn't it good to know? In the same way, I wouldn't get mad at my doctor for telling me something was wrong with me. We can't get mad at the Lord. We can't get mad at His Bible when He tells us uh, the problems we have in our own hearts. Ultimately, you see the way this works. People are making much of you in order that you might make much of them either by giving to their ministry or confirming them in their sin or by helping them with their ratings on television or by giving them clicks and likes. We become encapsulated by sort of echo chambers around us that make us feel like everything's good. We're being made much of and we're making much of them and that's how it works. 
but authentic relationships, real relationships, genuine, authentic Christian fellowship is born out of a desire to see Christ formed in you. Think about that. Think about that. Christian fellowship, real relationships are born. Like Paul says in verse 19, he says, it's like I'm in the anguish of childbirth again until Christ is formed in you. Paul says, I want to change my tone. I want to be with you. I don't want to be like this. Think about it for just a moment. Think about it when someone does something or says something, someone who loves you, who you know loves you, and they're upsetting the apple cart, and they're telling you a hard truth. Think to yourself, what do they really have to gain by this? What does they really have to gain? Maybe the answer is they just love me. They want me to see this. They want me to grow. They want to see Christ formed in me. They don't want to talk like this. They don't want to be like this. They want things to be perfect between us. Ask yourself that question. Ask yourself that question. Are you being lured into something that isn't even real? Or are you living according to real Christianity? Have you bought into ideas that are fake? Or are you living according to real Christianity? Think about your holiness. Where is it rooted? Think about your understanding of the truth. Is it rooted in Scripture? And think about the relationships you're most influenced by. Are they authentic and real? Or are they based on a facade? I think if you can answer those questions, you begin to get a sense of where you are in terms of authentic Christianity, real Christianity. I want to offer an invitation today. If you've never put your trust and faith in Jesus, I believe if you'll turn from your sins and repentance and turn to God in faith through Christ, I think you'll be saved today. You can be saved right where you are if you put your faith in Jesus. Or if you want someone to talk to, someone to pray with you, I'll be right down front here or you can catch me after the service. There's nothing holy about this place right here. God can save you anywhere. It's the beauty. He's God. He's everywhere. All you have to do is repent and believe. Second of all, you may be a believer and you may need some moments here to spend with the Lord. You can do it right where you are. I would love to pray with you. Or you can use this altar if you'd like to do that. And finally, what a joy it would be for me to talk to you today about what it means for you to be a member here at First Baptist Church. If you have business to do with the Lord after this prayer, I want to invite you to do just that, whether it be right where you are or here down front. Let's pray together.